men. As you can see, I shouldn't join Toby's tech team because I don't even know how microphones work. But here we go, I'm, I'm speaking into one and that's good. I'm not gonna use my iPad, I'm gonna use my printed out notes because I like things on paper. How's everyone doing? I'm so surprised there's so many of you here when the subject is adultery and lust. I was getting myself ready for maybe like one row, but you guys all showed up, so that's really kind. Thanks so much. Um, so there's loads of you that I don't know because I hardly ever get to come to the 6.30 service, which is really sad. Uh, the main reason for that is I have three small people at home that by 6.30 are melting down, needing dinner and bed, but occasionally I get to come, so I do know some of you, but those I don't know. Maybe I'll get to know tonight. And um, when Josh has given his notice about students serving the church, I just want to say that we're so grateful for you. Um, loads of you take care of my kids on a Sunday and allow me to be part of the service. And it's massive. It's a huge gift. I know loads of other parents feel the same. Loads of you on the youth team. And that's amazing because what better team is there than the youth team? Sorry, Lauren, but it is the best team. Um, <laughs> it says an old youth worker. Uh, anyway, just thankful for all of you serving wherever you serve and um, just having you part of the NC is awesome. So, um, um, I am talking about adultery and lust. Who is excited? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all of you. Um, anyway, before I kind of get into the, the heavy side, I want to set up a sort of like framework or like a viewing platform that I would love you guys to sort of hold throughout the evening as we talk. And it, it's made up of two parts, this viewing platform that I want you guys to kind of sit on throughout the evening. And, and the first part is a bit of context, I guess, to some of what Jesus was doing when he was uh, walking on the earth. And um, there's a group of people that you guys who know, know the New Testament a little bit will know that he gets quite frustrated with. It's like one of the few times that we see Jesus really angry is with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Do you guys know any moments in scripture where he gets wound up by these guys? And I think one of the reasons he gets wound up is because they are there to teach the Jewish people all about God and all about his kingdom and all about what he wants to do. And instead sometimes of doing that, he, um, the, the, the teachers of the law kind of have created these like moral superior places that they stand and nobody else can quite get there. None of the other people are quite good enough. And Jesus comes in and he's like, um, no, <laughs> you've missed the point. You know, do you know the story where he and his 12 disciples are sat in the temple and they're watching people put money in and someone comes in and puts loads of money in and this little old lady puts two like tiny coins in and Jesus points out this lady and he's basically like, that is the one that pleases my heart. It's not the one that's making this big show and, you know, putting all, all the kind of gold coins in the pot. It's the one whose heart is for God. And what the teachers of the law have forgotten is to think about what their heart is doing in private. They're teaching and they're making people feel small because it's all about the public. It's all about the big prayers and the holier-than-thou kinds of people wandering around. And I think that really frustrates Jesus. And there's this bit in Matthew 23, if you want to read it, where he really goes after the Pharisees and he really like, nails them. And one of the things he talks about is he says, you keep like, heaping heavy burdens on people and yet you do nothing to lighten the load. And I think what he's saying there is you keep putting all this law on people. You keep weighing everybody down, telling them they're not good enough and they're never going to quite reach this point. But you do nothing to free them. And what do we know is a central theme of God's heart for us? 
It's freedom, isn't it? So when we meet people in, that, in the scripture that Jesus is having a go at, it's partly because he's like, come on, you're supposed to be teaching my people, and instead you're binding them up in these heavy burdens that I haven't asked you to do. So tonight, even though we're talking about some stuff that's deep and heavy, I know that Jesus wants you to sit in the knowledge that he does not put heavy burdens on you. He doesn't want you to walk around like shameful and constricted and barely able to move because the burden is heavy. Because he says to you, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And the reason for that is he carries it with you, isn't it? The reason for that is he has set you free from shame and sin and mess because he'll carry it for you. So if you leave tonight feeling burdened and heavy, then, then ignore everything I said and just go to the heart of Jesus and let him show you what freedom is. Okay? The second place I want you to sit on this viewing platform, okay? So number one is you're not burdened by this. It's not supposed to be a massive weight that cripples you to carry. The second thing that's kind of on our viewing platform is, um, is, is actually I want to share a bit of my story in this moment because when I came to faith, I was 19, um, so it was about 16 years ago, and um, I, I knew all the things that Christians were supposed to do. And the other things that Christians weren't supposed to do. So when I had this crazy moment of encounter where Jesus basically came and was like, oh you, what are you doing? I remember sitting there and being like, so I have done this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and I said this once, and this, and this, and this, and therefore you can't want me because I know the kinds of people that you want. And do you know in that moment, what he didn't actually do is go through those, those confessions of my mess and my brokenness one by one. He just hit me with the power of his love. And later on, honestly, we have gone through all those messes together and the brokenness and the sin in my life. And now, in my brokenness and in the sin in my life, we're still doing that. He comes with love and he sits next to me and he says, hey, Tabs, this thing, it needs to change. This part of your life that you're stepping into that's not really for the kingdom, that's not really the things I'm asking of you, let's deal with that. But what he does is he sits with me in love first, and then he points the direction that he wants us to go. And he says, to be like me, we've got to step into this stuff and away from this stuff. To be the person you're called to be, to step into the purpose that I've made for you, we are going to have to move out of this sin and this mess but I walk with you and my burden is light and my yoke is easy, okay? So these are our two like viewing platform friends tonight. His burden is easy, you're not supposed to walk away heavy. He wants to bring you into freedom and often he just hits you with love first, but he will always point out a way for us to move out of our crap. Because none of us wanna sit there, do we? We might be holding it tightly, but really when Jesus paints a picture of freedom, that's where we wanna go, yes? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, me too, I think so. Yes! <laughs> There's an in-joke there, is that, um, I actually can't remember how the joke started. Well, I do a long time ago, but I don't remember how it came to Exeter. But I just like a bit of interaction, I like a smile, I like a nod, I like a clap, I like a hallelujah, whatever you've got for me. I'm a words of affirmation gal, and I need a little bit from you. So if you think something is a reasonable point, or God's doing something, and you just smile at me, let me know, that makes me feel good if you want to, you know, if you want to meet my needs. Um, anyway, so <laughs> these are two things. And tonight is a moment like that. Tonight is a moment where Jesus might speak into your heart and you might feel like, oh yeah, I need to deal with that stuff. I have got a bit of brokenness and mess in the area of adultery and lust, potentially. But you know what he'll do first? Is he'll meet you with his love. 
So if you go away feeling condemned, that's not the voice of Jesus. If you go away wanting to hide in shame, that's not the voice of Jesus. If you leave feeling like, yeah, he loves me right where I am, but he's got more for me, that sounds like the voice of Jesus to me. That's good. <laughs> You're always good at this. Okay, so um, let's, get in, let's get into the passage. Um, so um, you guys are doing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You've done a couple so far, I think. It's all about... Okay, it's a little over, overkill in the front row. Um, so... Um, <laughs> now I'm being distracted by the application. Um, so, Sermon on the Mount, it's a collection of Jesus' teachings. He's teaching a broad range of disciples. This is not just the 12, there's men and women who've been following him, who want to know him, who want to get to know him, who want to know what his kingdom's like, and he's teaching them about his kingdom and about what it is to be more like Jesus. So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30. If you guys want to open a Bible or your phone, I shall wait a moment. Okay, so Matthew 5, 27 says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. <laughs> Can you imagine what it would have been like when you sat there in the crowd and Jesus was just like, boom. Um, it's probably a bit like it is right now. So it's strong, isn't it? It's intense language. Jesus has clearly got something to say here. He is challenging the status quo. He is challenging people that don't get what he's talking about. When he says things like, you have heard it said, but I say, you know that Jesus is going to bring the actual level that was always intended, don't you? You know he's going to bring the truth that makes sense of what that first statement means, yeah? So he's really serious, Jesus is, on this statement. He's deeply serious about challenging the perception of what holiness is. Is it just the moment, is sin just the moment that you find yourself magically in bed with somebody that you're not married to and having sex with them? Is, is, that, the, is that the only moment that's interesting to Jesus, that's sinful in Jesus' mind? No. Jesus says here, it's in your heart first. So something happens, many things happen on the journey towards adultery, don't they? It's very unlikely that for absolutely no reason you just find yourself in bed with somebody. And so Jesus is saying, that is not the issue. As in, that is sinful and that's an issue, but the issue is found in our hearts. We go back upstream and we head up towards what he wants to speak into our hearts. So if we had more time, which we don't, you'd be glad to know, it would be, it would be fun, wouldn't it, to try and understand what does the Bible actually say about sex? What does it actually want to teach us? If you grew up in church, you probably know that somewhere it might well say something about not having it before you get married. You might have always been trying to find that exact verse. You might find something from the Bible. You might know a little bit about the very beginning when God talks about like a male and female coming together and it's two people and it's covenant. You, you might know those bits. There's loads in here that can teach us about sex, but we haven't really got time for it. But what I will say is that, that, that God says it's very good. He looks at the Adam and Eve and they're naked and he's actually said to them like, have sex basically and multiply. And he looks at them and he says, that's very good. Your body is very good. 
Your sexual desire is a gift from God, and actually it's good. It's very good. And um, in the middle of the book, has anyone read Song of Songs? Yes, yes. There's this, there's this amazing poem in kind of in the middle of your book, after Psalms. And in this poem, it's basically a big celebration of the awakening of someone's heart towards somebody else, of someone's like sexual interest in somebody else, in this pursuit of marriage towards somebody else. This man, this woman, it's like the shepherd and the shepherdess or something, I can't remember. But it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's full of imagery and it's in there. It's in there, and I think there was a thing that like Jewish boys under 10 or something weren't allowed to read it because it was too raunchy. It's in the Bible, a raunchy book. And, uh, and it wouldn't be in there if God was afraid of sex or afraid of the sex drive that he's given you. It wouldn't be in there. Funny story, I once got invited to this private school down the road from where I was doing um, youth work, and um, they were like, Tabby, can you come in with my friend Chris and talk about sex to us? I was like, okay. Um, so we went into this private school, and all the way around the chapel was posters saying, sex with Tabby and Chris. Felt very <laughs> uncomfortable walking in. Anyway, that's a random story about other sex talks. Um, but yes, God is not afraid of the sex drive he's given you, and he doesn't not like it. I think um, the church itself has struggled a bit, hasn't it, with what, like, what do we do with this awkward thing called sex? You know, in the like, Victorian times, it was like, let's pretend it doesn't exist. God's a prude. Let's not talk about it. And then there was a bit of a revolution, and then in the 90s, everyone was like, let's, let's kind of have this like purity ring thing, and you know, all this stuff, and all this teaching about, like, you don't have a sexual drive until you get married, and then it turns on the minute you put the ring on the finger which is rubbish, sorry, sorry for the 90s purity fun. I mean, I'm all about purity, but maybe helping people understand it is helpful. Anyway, um, so the church has struggled a little bit with sex, and it's kind of painted God as someone who doesn't like it, but that's not true. But one thing that I want you to consider, that in Song of Songs, it, it describes sort of love and sex as a fire. And when you think about fire, when it's contained in the right place for it, when it's, when it's in the right context, it does all the right things, doesn't it? It's a great power source. It heats things, it lights things, it cooks things. But when fire isn't contained in the place that it should be, it's destructive, isn't it? All you have to do is just picture like the Californian fires in the summer. When fire is let loose in a way that it shouldn't be, it's dangerous. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and for us, the hard thing is that our like sexual desire and our, our like sex drive and sex, when it's not put in the right place, when it's not held in the right context, it can be really damaging, can't it? It, it can actually cause huge amounts of pain. So that's the context of, of sex. Basically, I want to paint the picture that God does not like it. Okay, so when Jesus is talking about adultery and lust, it's not him being prudish and weird, it's him trying to help us understand the context for sex and the importance of us understanding our own sexual desire, our own sex drive within our own heart in order that we can like, take this good desire and keep it healthy and keep it good because it's easy for it to get distracted, yeah? Okay, so back to the verse. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
What is a lustful look? I was thinking, would it be funny if I tried to like, act out Sam? And then I thought that could be really weird, so I'm not doing that. Don't worry. <laughs> but I don't think it's like an accidental glance. You know, like when someone hot walks in and you like notice them and then you kind of oh, 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 look away. That's not it. That's, I mean, obviously, I don't do that. I'm joking. Um, that's not lust, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's a kind of moment. I mean, I think you guys probably know what a lustful glance is, right? Like a lustful stare. Like maybe you've actually received one. It was horribly uncomfortable, or maybe you know what it is because it happens. And it's like it's like it's like a stare, isn't it? It's not a glance, it's a stare. And there's an intent behind it. It's an intent to feel something in you that feels good for you in that time. And um, one translation says it's like to stare lustfully with intent. So it's like a moment where you make a decision. Like, you make a decision to stay in that place of, of objectifying the thing that you're looking at to meet your own need. To, and, it, and although Jesus talks about it as a look, and that, and that probably is partly contextual because they wouldn't have been able to do it, like, on their phone or through a book or whatever. But I also think there's a, there's a thing to say, like, for us emotionally as well, you know. Sometimes, you know, like, we go places, like, in our kind of mind, don't we? Like, you don't actually have to see something physically, but we're, like, fantasizing about stuff. And we kind of enjoy the space that's taking up and what it's doing in our bodies and how maybe it's, like, turning you on or maybe it's whatever. It doesn't actually all have to be, like, actually what you're seeing. It can be where you allow your own mind to go can actually be a lustful thing. And um, it's often like, in lust, I think it's like a small decision that leads to a few more decisions, that leads to a few more decisions that continually is fueling this thing in you that is not being kept as it should be. Um, There's an old guy called Martin Luther, and he says that you cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it building a nest in your hair. Does that make sense? So it's like you can't, you can't, you you have a sex drive, you are going to notice stuff, that's fine. But are you going to let it take root? Are you going to let it put a few twigs in your hair and start building something that you could have stopped? I don't know. So, um, so that's, I, th- I don't know, I, f- I find it really hard to sort of describe what lust is, but I'm hoping that's giving you a few pictures of that kind of, like that fueling, the sort of like sex drive or the, or the um, yeah, like kind of intent for that within you. It's like, it's like rooting it in rather than getting rid of it, yeah? Okay. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus is talking about our hearts here. So he's saying like, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say that you've done it in your heart if you do this. So the thing that I think is really important within this context of adultery and lust is what is happening in your private place. What is happening when nobody else can see? No one has to know the things, the film that's running through your head. No one has to know the stuff that you're dwelling on in your heart because it's in private. It doesn't impact anybody else, does it? But Jesus is so interested in what's happening in your heart. Do you know why? Because your heart is the wellspring of life. All the good stuff is going to come out of your heart and some of the crap stuff too. So the more we guard it and the more we allow God to do what he wants to do in it, the more life that's going to flow from our hearts, which is amazing. So what does it mean in 2023? It's pretty different, I imagine, this sort of sex culture of 2023 to when Jesus was hanging out with his friends. Sex sells, doesn't it? That's what they all say. Sex sells, and it certainly is everywhere. 
You can't even walk down the high street without a little glimmer of something sexy hanging out on Ann Summers, can you? It's not even safe to be there. Um, and I think that we are being sold a bunch of lies all the time around sex, relationships, marriage, dating. I think we're being sold a lie that porn is normal. In fact, I was reading recently that people suggest that you should watch porn because it will help you like, form understanding about what sex is. That's a suggestion for kids in their teens. That's a great idea. Watch porn. That will really help you get a great picture of sex. That's a lie. What about the lie that tells you you're only as attractive as somebody else finds you? So what about sending a naked picture to somebody to let them tell you how beautiful you are or aren't? That sounds like a lie to me, doesn't it? What about the lie that you, you know, the best people to teach you about relationships are on Love Island or TikTok or OnlyFans or Instagram? What a joke! What a joke! But it's everywhere. And it's forming us, if nothing else is. We're being told the lie that to be a free person means you should just be able to sleep with whoever you want, when you want. If you have a desire, just meet it. That's freedom. That's the lie you're being sold. You're being sold the lie that sex is not holistic. It's just a physical thing, so it barely even matters. You're being sold a lie that, you know, maybe it's another kind of lie. Maybe it comes from, like, a conservative side that's saying to you, because you watch porn, you're not worthy of God's love. Maybe that's the lie that is forming you. Or maybe you're being told that marriage is the ultimate goal. You know, it's like the best place to go for because marriage is the most important thing. That's a lie. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that. There's a whole bunch of lies being whispered to us around this theme of sex. Whether it's actually whispers, unhelpful whispers from church that make you feel not good enough, like because of something that's happened, you can't have the freedom that God has for you. But it's definitely gonna be the lies that are coming from culture from every angle. So I want to ask you, how do you want to be formed? How do you want your heart to be formed? How do you want your understanding of relationships, sex, masturbation, lust? How do you want it to be formed? Who do you want to form it? What kind of relationships are you hoping for? Are you hoping for ones that look like Love Island ones? Or are you hoping for ones that look like God's right in the middle? With someone that is pursuing Jesus in their brokenness, in their mess, but with Jesus front and center. Don't see that on Love Island, do you? Nope. <laughs> so, and, and also, so I want to flag here, this is not just about, like, sometimes we get taught, like, if we can just not have sex till we're married, then we'll be fine. If we can just hold this desire in until we get married, it will be okay. But this is about right now saying to God, I just give you my desires. I submit them to you now because marriage doesn't change that much in our desires, you know? There are some needs that are met, wonderful. There's a whole bunch of stuff that if we can learn now, if we can submit now, whatever stage we're at, that is it's gonna be guarding our heart, yeah? So I am going to just go after porn for a minute. It's the elephant in the room. It's awkward, I know, but it's everywhere and statistics are true. Then definitely a few of us in the room may well be struggling a little bit with porn. I'm not putting it on you. I'm just suggesting that it could be possible. And it's everywhere, isn't it? Like there's soft porn everywhere. You just turn a film on and you're like, whoa, okay. I mean, earlier in my mum's group, we were talking about, is Bridgerton ever so slightly soft porn? You know, has anyone seen Bridgerton? 
Actually, maybe it hadn't. Yeah, I mean, I'll put my hand up. I've seen it. Maybe no one else, nobody else is going to say. But, you know, is it? I don't know. Is that, you know, is that slightly? Um, but, you know, we know that at the like, tip of our fingers on our phone, you can access pretty much anything that you want to see, I think. You could turn your laptop on at any point that you want to, and you could find something that for a second, maybe, fulfills that desire in you for intimacy. It hits your sex drive for a minute, but that's love turned in on itself. That doesn't sound like the love that God has for us. You know, scientists are catching up and they're actually starting to say, maybe it isn't so good for you. Maybe the way that it kind of rewires your brain a little bit isn't a good thing. Maybe the way that when you start watching violent porn, it fuses sex and porn together in your mind. There's no shame here, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying it's not a good thing, even though the world kind of lies to us and suggests that it is a helpful thing. I'm telling you it's not. It's not a helpful thing, but it's a thing that almost must be so unavoidable. I mean, I sound old now, but genuinely, when I was young, I'd have to go and buy a magazine from the top shelf and ask someone to get it down for me. Like, that would be humiliating if I wanted to watch, well, I couldn't watch a magazine, read a porn magazine. As I got later on into my teens, I could have gone onto the computer in our community space in our house and let mum and dad know exactly what I was looking at. It would have been much harder for me to access porn as a teenager. But for you guys, it's there all the time. I've worked with young people for a long time. It breaks my heart when they tell me what happens in school, when someone just flicks an image of them. They didn't want to see it, they didn't ask to see it, and suddenly they've got this horrible image stuck in their head. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? That someone's first view of something so incredible that God made might be a violent version of that. It might involve a child, mightn't it? So we can say that porn is just this private thing, it's just something I do on my own. It doesn't affect anybody. Like, you know, I just can't help it. And I actually know it's addiction, so I know it's really hard to break the habit. But we can try and tell ourselves it's a private thing. It's no biggie. It's a biggie. And it isn't a private thing. Because if you look around the world, the porn industry is breaking people all the time. So if you're watching it, then you are actually part of this cycle of abuse which is not the kingdom of God, but also you're hurting yourself. And it's redeemable, and I've seen it be redeemed, so I'm not here to put any shame on you, but I want to be honest with you, that porn is horrible. And we don't want it to be part of our lives, and so there is redemption for it, and God is with you in it. So don't feel the shame, but feel the call of God sat with you in love, going, this is an issue, let's just move forward. Small steps, tiny steps sometimes. Um, let me just find where I am after my porn chat. Yeah, so, you know, there's apps. You guys might know there's apps you can put on your phone, on your laptop, that ping your pal if you're looking at stuff. I mean, that must be enough of a make you want to not do it if you find out that your friend is going to get an email saying, Tammy looked at porn last night. Like, oh, man, I had to meet them for coffee, and they're going to know. Like, maybe that's what you need. I don't know. Maybe you need to tell a friend and say, will you pray for me? Will you ask me every week how I'm doing? Will you be vulnerable enough to be part of this community and just ask one person to help you? Because I imagine every person who loves you would be desperate to help you. There's no shame, though, because we've all got our stuff. We've all got our mess, okay? So uh, maybe it's not porn, though, because there's plenty of us in here that maybe it's not porn. Maybe it's like those raunchy novels you're enjoying, really enjoying those really good sex scenes that does loads for you at night when you're tucked up in bed. Maybe that's a thing for you. 
Maybe it's just sex. Maybe you're having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe you're going out, drinking too much, and having loads of sex, and you're hoping it's going to meet that need in you. It's not going to. It's not going to. I get it, but it's not going to. Because Jesus wants your heart, the wellspring of life, and he wants to deal with the desire that you have that's good and bring it back into alignment with him and keep it good. But it's tough because there's a battle on for all of your desires. Because the first desire, the call for our desire is for God. So it's a massive fight to keep that the way it is. So there's no shame, but let's be liberated because God wants us to be. And that is so exciting. So again, I ask you that question, who are you becoming? Who's forming you? What's forming you? How are you being more like Jesus? Are you allowing the porn industry to form your impression of relationships? Are you allowing those, that crazy novel to do that? Are you allowing the moments that you feel insecure, so drink alone and then end up doing something with someone you didn't want to do? Is that what's forming you? Or is Jesus forming you? So there's this bit that is a bit like full on in that verse, isn't there, where it says, like, cut your hand off if it's causing you to sin, or like gouge your eye out. And, um, and Rich gave me permission for joy because I was going to make this joke and I wasn't sure about it. But I think if Jesus was really serious about us cutting off body parts in terms of lust, there's probably another one that he'd take on that list, right? I don't think he's serious about us actually cutting off. Is that okay? Not okay? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, you looked awkward about my joke. I thought it was a good one. Um, well, I think your eye would bleed a lot. Well, anyway, he's not saying that. Please don't cut off any body parts. That's not what I'm suggesting. Uh, even one's not in the list. Um, so, no, anyway, he, he's, I don't think that's what he's suggesting. But what he is saying is that he's super serious about this, okay? He's super serious. And what he's saying is if there's something that is causing you to sin in your life, if there's something that you think you really need, but it's taking you down the wrong route, then get rid of it. For example, if your phone is causing you to sin, buy a brick phone buy an old school phone. It will feel awkward, won't it? When you get it out and your friend's like, take a picture of me and you're like, oh, sorry, got this one. <laughs> but that's what he means by cut your hands off. He means break the habit, stop the sin, like just ch make a change. Yeah? He doesn't want you to cut your hand off or gouge your eye out. That's not what he's about, but he does want you to cut the sin off. So if it's get a different phone, if it's stop taking your laptop to bed with you, if it's stop drinking, if it's stop going clubbing, if it's stop doing this or stop doing that because it's causing you to sin, then just stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. I am, um, as I said, I worked with loads of young people in the past and um, when I was doing that job, um, like Love Island actually came out and um, I remember like watching the advert for it and like part of me was thinking, that looks quite fun actually, that was quite fun. And then I thought, I'm, I'm gonna have to tell my young people not to watch this because I didn't want their ideas of relationships and sex to be formed by something like that. I was like, I don't want my like 13 year old little people who are just launching into this world of sex and relationships for that to be the thing that they're like, oh, so that's what I'm aiming for. So I didn't, I've never watched it. I've never watched it. And I've had to not join in the chat about it and all the fun stuff. That everyone's like, ha, oh, did you see blah, 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 blah last night? Did you see this? Did you see that? And I'm like, hmm. And it's not a huge cost, but there are moments where following Jesus means you can't do what everybody else is doing. You do something different because it's more important that he is forming you than the world is. So for me, that's Love Island. 
I don't want to watch that. I don't want that to change my perception of relationships, of my body, of like whether I then feel totally crap about myself because I don't look like whoever. Because God looks at our bodies and he says, that's very good. That's very good, just as you are. And um, so for you guys, I don't know what it is, but there probably will be things in your life that you could cut off tonight that would help you keep your heart pure and your desires in alignment with God's best. So I am going to make one last point before I land. I don't know what the time is, sorry. Is it good? Okay. Um, and, and that is um, just one other bit of vision for you, because everyone loves vision, right? We need vision. And Jesus um, has loads of vision, as we know. And one part of his vision for his kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth, is all about restored relationships. So another Pharisee, another teacher of the law, comes up to him and says, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he says, love God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind. He wants us to have a restored relationship with God, full relationship with God, full access. And the other thing he says is love like people around you, love your neighbor as yourself, so love people. And Jesus is passionate about that because each one of us is made in his image, aren't we? We all are like Christ bearers, we're all God bearers. And he wants us all in his kingdom, all of us to be to know love and to be loved. So res- restoration of, of um, relationships is really important to Jesus. And, um, and therefore, it's really important to us, isn't it? Because we want to carry the things that Jesus carries as important. But when we allow love and sex and marriage to be distorted, often it means we don't treat the people in his kingdom or or who are yet to be in it with the love that is the currency of his kingdom, right? So when we look at another person lustfully and we objectify them, we dehumanize them. We don't treat them with love. And this causes damage to all kinds of relationships. And in this statement that Jesus is making, so when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is being really radical here in terms of relationships too. Because in that day and age, you would have been taught that if someone like fell into bed with somebody else, it was the woman's fault. Because she would be like seducing you, like maybe a little hair had come out of her like covering or something, and she's a seductress. That would honestly be the image that was played out, that somehow the men were not responsible for it. It was her fault. But Jesus flips it, doesn't he? He's so radical. He's so cheeky. Like, you know, they all are thinking when he talks about adultery, like, her fault. And he's like, when a man looks at a woman, right? And he flips it because in his kingdom, we are all equal. We are all valued. We are all to be loved. He wants men to love women in the way that he calls them to, in friendship and family and vice versa. He doesn't want it to always be that that same old tradition that we just blame one set of people. So he's been really radical about restoration of relationship in this statement, let alone what he's saying about our hearts. So my question to you guys is what statement do you make about the kingdom of God in the way that you date in the way that you hold your desire, in the way that you love each other as family. I don't know about you, but I find dating in the Christian world super annoying. I find that it often isn't great. Sometimes it's brilliant, so hear me. Like, I'm not saying everyone's no good. But sometimes I think we're so formed by the world that it doesn't look any different. You don't look, it doesn't look any different to anywhere else. I could go into Pizza Hut and dating would look the same there. 
I could go anywhere and it would look the same. But the church is supposed to be making a statement about his kingdom. So how are you going to date differently? How are you going to look at someone the way that Jesus does, rather than potentially the way that you've slowly been formed to look at them through some other stupid program? How are you... I've got like all these questions and I can't find them. <laughs> wait there, wait there. I don't know where they are, I've lost them. So, what about the statement that you guys make in terms of the way that you don't have sex before you get married? I mean, that's, that's actually one that people always assume of Christians, don't they? So that's an easy one to chat about with people who don't know Jesus yet. But what about the way that you celebrate singleness? What about the way that in this community of people, you make a statement about the kingdom of God by celebrating being single? Why couldn't we look different in that way? What about the way that you guys do friendship? What about the way that you get your needs met? It's too easy to let people meet your needs for you. It's too easy to get in these late night texting conversations where you both feel great about yourself, but you have zero intention of loving that person the way they think you might be. You are making a statement about the kingdom of God in the way that you date, the way that you get married, the way that you pursue each other, the way that you do or don't have sex, the way that you love each other as family makes a statement about his kingdom. So I think God is going to do a bunch of stuff in our hearts because he loves our hearts. And when our hearts are full of life, we make a statement about the kingdom of God, don't we? We make a statement that actually when we are following God's best for us, we live in freedom. And it's totally different to the world, which is heavily burdened. It might look free. It might look like they're free. But we know that true freedom is honestly found in Jesus. I cannot tell you that is my story enough. <laughs> I live for the world. It never felt free. I met Jesus and everything changed. Honestly, I still have my mess and my crap, I still do to deal with. But there's freedom at the core of it because he sits with me in love and he says, hey, hand me that burden, hand me that mess and I'll walk with you and I'm taking you to a wide and spacious place. Let's stand up. So I think, um, I think there will be some stuff to do with shame. God's going to want to break shame. I think some of us will genuinely be struggling with lust quite deeply, quite painfully. And God's going to want to do stuff with that tonight. That feels quite public, quite hard. So that could just be where you are. If you are struggling with porn, please just ask somebody to help you. One person, one friend, any of the leadership, like email John, a church, like whoever. People will love to walk with you into freedom. But for now, let's just ask Jesus to put in our heart a vision of how the kingdom of God might be shown through the way that we love each other here. So I'm just going to take a few minutes. Let's just put our, well, how, whatever you like. If you like putting your hands out to say, Jesus, I'm here. I want to receive that vision. I want to receive your spirit that equips me to live a life without shame, walking into freedom that takes my burdens. Let's just see what he wants to do.
to sweet solace and may ourselves to you again. We long to become more like you. We long to be people that liberate, that heal in your name, that bring people into fullness of life with you. And Jesus, we know that we reflect your kingdom in all that we do. And so we pray that you just give us vision. Give us vision and purpose for how we reflect your kingdom in this area of marriage and dating and sex and lust and all that stuff. Would you just give us vision? Would you strengthen our desire to be like you and to submit our desires to you?